My name is Claire Press and this is Wardrobe Crisis, the podcast that unzips fashion's issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, are we starting? <laughs> we are seeing a kind of almost Zoolander-esque caricature of how excessive fashion can be. Our love shifting was like 16 to 20 hours a day. I would work like 450 hours in a month and making only $6. Creativity is one of the most powerful things that humans have. We underestimate the power of beauty and the power of humor. These are qualities that connect people and connectivity is a really potent thing right now. Don't point a finger, impart knowledge and information instead. Plus size modeling can go suck it. Um, <laughs> it's our job as designers to explore and discover beauty everywhere. So your voice is crucial and powerful in the supply chain. Join me every week as we talk ethics, sustainability and the business and madness of fashion. From who made your clothes to how they impact on the environment to the politics of personal style. We are so hot right now. Oh, it's getting hot. My parents feel that this is a waste of time. I tell them go because everything is just fine. You know, in more than one occasion in my life, People have said to me that fashion's just total trash, it's utter garbage. But this episode is about taking that literally. There's a history of fashion designers referencing rubbish. I don't know if you remember when John Galliano did that controversial couture collection of newspaper dresses. He was inspired by the homeless people that he used to jog past along the river in Paris. And perhaps not surprisingly, that collection garnered criticism. But he's not the only one. Vivian Westwood has also dabbled in derelict chic. But both those designers, they use luxurious fabrics to render garbage inspiration gorgeous. The punks, of course, dressed in bin bags, but they weren't using gorgeous fabrics, and nor was Jean-Paul Gaultier when he made his famous sac poubelle dress of, I think it was 1980. That was made from an actual bin liner too, and he accessorised it with bangles made from old tin cans and a bag made from an old ashtray. More recently, Jeremy Scott's Autumn 17 ready-to-wear collection for Moschino was inspired by cardboard packaging. But what the American artist Marina Debris does is rather different. She doesn't want her work to be thought of as chic or fabulous or fashionable. She wants it to shock you. Now, Marina Debris is not her real name, of course. I love it. It's the sort of name you might hear in a drag queen bar in her adopted home of Sydney. But that's not accidental. Marina's work is a performance piece. She calls herself a trashion designer as well as an activist and a campaigner. And she makes her collections from rubbish that she finds washed up on the beaches of LA and Sydney. And it's incredible to look at. There's a bustier embellished with knives and forks, plastic utensils. There's a posh frock that's fashioned from the flimsy, floaty remains of old carrier bags and somehow manages to look gorgeous, which is deeply disturbing. Her design takeaway queen is made from polystyrene containers and wait till you hear what she has to say about Anna Wintour using takeaway coffee cups. Marina's made pieces from rescued fabric, from bed springs, even a dead bird's wings. In this episode, we talk about why she makes her work and how she does it and and the sorts of reactions that she gets. We know that fashion can be a conduit for cultural conversation, so why not hijack it and use it as a frame of reference for political art? That's what Marina does with her provocative, confronting project trashing. Can you wear it? <laughs> I asked her that. She said, if you dare. Plastic times. 
Unhappy time. Marina Debris. I don't know if that's your real name, but it's the name we're using. I'll never tell. <laughs> Thank you so You'll much find for out joining if you us. Research it. I prefer I'll never tell. I wanted to start by asking you how you feel, because we were talking about emotions before we pressed record. How do you feel when you make something with your hands? I actually, I really love working with my hands and it's something I, you might have read that I have been a graphic designer for oh, too many years and now with computers, I really missed working with my hands and so this was part of doing what I'm doing here with the trash was to get back into that feeling and creating something with your hands, which I absolutely love. The one thing that is very funny about it, though, is after many years of working on a computer, I can't command Z, you know, like I'll do something and I'll go, oh, I wish I could take that back easily, <laughs> but you can't. But that's, you know, that's... That's part of why it's good, part, though, isn't yeah, it? Exactly. I never thought of it in those terms. It's exactly why it's great, but it's it's very funny because I res- revert to that, like, immediately. Delete. <laughs> <laughs> We're here in your studio, and I wish that people could see what I can see. Marina, can you paint them a picture using words of what we can see in your studio here in Sydney? Well... First of all, my studio houses all the trash that I pick up on a pretty much daily basis from just from local beaches. Some of it is from Los Angeles, but, you know, I haven't lived there for two and a half years. So for a start, I've been told that it smells. I actually can't smell a thing. Really? I just aired it out before you came. But my... But God, what does it smell of? It's kind of... It's not a nice smell. Sometimes it smells really seaweedy because I will bring things back that have seaweed attached, wet seaweed, especially clothing. And we don't, it's hard to have a place to dry it out Mm. before I bring it in here. But that comes back to emotion and feeling, doesn't it? If something smells, that also hits you in the gut, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, it's not pretty, I will say. And some of the outfits still smell a bit and I've had I've actually had models get a little bit queasy about it those models um, have never smelled a high fashion sample that's been on many yeah. a runway <laughs> well that's true that's true too but, but, but what are we seeing here so we're oh, going so, to get into the detail yeah. of exactly what you do and how you do it in a minute but we're surrounded by the materials that you work with in your art practice and they're all garbage yeah so Every day I come back from the beach and I first I dump out the finding of what I found that day. Um, and I'm quite selective now about what I pick up. I don't consider myself the cleaner upper of all beaches. That is not my job. I couldn't do it if I wanted to. So I become a little more selective where I'll only pick up what I think I'm going to use And I'm also a slightly OCD about organizing, I guess. So we're seeing big boxes and crates and cartons. And in each one is a different kind of plastic rescued thing. Can you describe some of it for us? Well, a lot of single-use plastics, utensils, takeaway containers, water bottles. One of the funnier things is uh, the day after Christmas here, I found... 
20 Santa hats washed up on Coogee Beach. And that was partly humorous. And they're all encrusted with sea urchins. And, you know, they've been out there for like a day. The other day I found a pair of shoes and a purse with a cell phone in it. And you just invent these stories like, okay, something wrong happened here. Beyond the kind of more evocative things of who lost that shoe, there's a lot of mundane items piled in these boxes. So there's a box of broken pegs over there, broken plastic clothes pegs. Yes. Cigarette lighters, ubiquitous everywhere. I find a lot of sunglasses, a lot, and goggles, broken leg ties from surfboards, straws. Straws are a huge problem universally. We don't need straws. We're going to get into the detail of what exactly it is that you do with all of these things that you rescue from beaches. But I want to just start by rewinding to just ask you a little bit about how you began. You grew up in Connecticut, is that right? Yes. When did you start to make things? Can you describe yourself as a kid? Were you making stuff then? I think I always loved art. My mother was a photographer. My father was an engineer and always loved art. That was my go-to. I was not into (laughs) sport. I wasn't terrible academically, but art was, was it. And I think that was largely my mother's influence. So always making things since I was a kid. Actually, I remember my mother made a lot of our toys, which was, you know, amazing. People don't do that anymore. Started, I occasionally made my own clothes. So that was, that was pretty much growing up my closest city. I grew up like 45 minutes outside of New York City. So the arts was just it for me and my mother again my mother who just passed away several months ago she loved art as well and she used to drag us to galleries and museums every opportunity and I hated it at the time and this is you know what it it did for me isn't it cool when you look back at those things that you tried to resist as a kid and then you realize they shaped you yeah totally you then went to art school I believe that you studied Did you study metalwork? I originally went to Indiana University and studied metalsmithing. Why? What is that? What uh, was it about sculpture? We had a jewelry making program in our high school and it was, I had an amazing teacher and I just loved it. It was a really quite a great program too. It wasn't just, you know, craftsy. I, I won quite a few awards at an early age. That was my thing that I loved the most and went to Indiana University to study under Alma Eicherman, who was like a really well-known metalsmither. And um, she left the year I got there. I took a graphic design course and I thought, oh, I like this too. And I could probably make a living at it because... I could get a job. I I then transferred to Rhode Island School of Design, which was where the graphic design teacher I studied under moved to. So I I took both metalsmithing and graphic design and ended up majoring in graphic design. I do like this quote from you that I read in an interview, which is, as a graphic designer, I learned how to visually deliver a message. Yes, that was ingrained in us that that was our role. And 
I found that, you know, really shaped the way I make art as well, because I don't, personally, I just can't see the point of making something that's just pretty or nice to look at. You know, it's, it's gotta be so much more than that. It's, it's about communicating something, whether it's a personal thing or it's a issue that needs to be talked about. Let's talk about those issues. Um, the work that you do now, I'm going to use the word trashin, which I quite love. I'd never actually come yeah. across the phrase trashin until I... I did not make it up, by the way. Well, I worked this out, but when I heard about you from Jennifer Lavers, she used that word trashin. Yeah. I was like, yes, I didn't know it. But it is a, it's a sort of phenomenon, isn't it? Um, I know you don't see yourself as a designer inside the fashion world, but you are using clothes as art and some of them are pretty elaborate dresses. Originally, when I started this in 2009, I just started making three-dimensional pieces, sculptures, mobiles. I did some two-dimensional work as well. And um, the fashion thing was like a total fluke where um, this group organization in Los Angeles, quite well-known, called Heal the Bay. And actually, I just did a show for them last week. They were given a mannequin to represent themselves in a opening. This sounds really long and involved. There was an opening of a marketplace in Santa Monica, California, and each all the individual businesses were given a mannequin to represent their business, and Hilda Bay was given one. And they asked me, because I, I had just literally just started doing this, and they asked me if I would create something, and I, wearable, of course. It didn't have to be wearable. It could have just been adhered to the mannequin. But that was like a light bulb went off because I love fashion. I've always loved fashion. And I made a piece that was called White Trash, and it actually reflected the most the objects I found most often the single use objects. Is this like, the bodice that has the um the cutlery and the, yes, the lighters? Yes, yes. <gasps> it's made of cigarette lighters, uh bottle tops, straws, single use cutlery, and some army men <laughs> and some So uh, plastic dust figures masks. like toy figures. Yeah. Dust masks are the boobies. <laughs> Oh, wow. Um, what else is on that? Uh, that's pretty. And um, the Tipperillo, tips of Tipperillo cigars, which are, that's a very L.A. thing to find on the beach. I do find those all the time. That piece, White Trash, I've seen a picture of it. I haven't seen it in the flesh, so to speak, in the plastic flesh. But it's odd because it's beautiful. So when you first glance at it, when you don't understand what it's composed mm -hmm. of, you think, gosh, that's an amazing yeah. thing. How do they do that? And then when you look closely, you have this sort of visceral reaction to like, ugh, it's it's pieced together with this stuff. It's, it's interesting because I think if you looked at it from a distance, you might just see its beauty, but yeah. up close, it's grotesque. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, that that's what I want to achieve. In fact, I really feel like I need to get more grotesque or more controversial or confronting. And that's a challenge because you don't want to turn people off from the subject. But at the same time, like I said, I don't want to just be repurposing the materials. That's not what I do. And I 
don't want it to look too beautiful because it's really an ugly issue. What are you hoping that viewers or those who interact with your work will take away from it? I always hope that they look at our waste, you know, what we humans are creating on a daily basis and how, I mean, ridiculous it is. On, on Ultimately, it's really ridiculous. And it's so easy to make a minor change in your life where you can just bring your own as much as you, you know, reuse whatever you have. It's it's really not an inconvenience, but people look at it like it is. And we are so privileged to have the ocean and our beaches, our wildlife, especially in Australia. We are so privileged. And, you know, I want us to think about how we can make really minor changes quite easily. And it's the least we can do for the marine life that is suffering because of us or all, you know, all animal species are actually suffering because of us, including ourselves. So, you know, it's not rocket science. What sort of reactions did you get to the work in Santa Monica, that first piece, White Trash? Do you remember? Um, Were you there? I was there. It wasn't an opening, though. I was just, there were a lot. See, it was competing with a lot of amazing designers. Like some people had asked, you know, actually True Religion, who was my client as a graphic designer. Oh, really? Yeah. They, the denim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He yeah. submitted a piece that was actually really cool. But none of the others talked about the issue. But they were all, you know, I was competing against other pieces that were really beautiful, you know, had no limits to what the materials they could use. I, I mean, this is something I need, I like to talk about too, is that I'm so very self-imposed, limited by my materials. And it's really difficult to make something out of trash that I don't clean anything. I rarely alter anything. I use it as it is. And that's intentional to, to not glorify it, to not make it look like, oh, wow, that's, that's great. She's reusing materials that have been discarded. Well, I do get that reaction a lot. And that is not the reaction I want. And it's hard to get, it's hard to get out of that. I'm not really sure. That's kind of my goal is to, to figure out how to communicate this message in a little more immediate way, like, like it's a wake up call. Like mm. We've mm. got to do something. And we are the only ones who can do something. That idea of um, not cleaning things, not making them look new, not trying to take away this sort of dirty history. Can you talk to me a little bit about that, perhaps with reference to a piece? I was thinking about the, the dress that is made of plastic bags that, uh, yeah. you know, it's quite... There's... I talked about this in a, in a previous podcast. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, yeah, but the dress looks sort of from a distance, again, looks like yeah. a bit ethereal and floaty yes, and yes. lovely. <laughs> but then when you get up yeah. close, it's filthy, disintegrating plastic bags. Yes, I have actually two uh, bag pieces. One's called Bag Lady and the other's called Crustacea. Um, Crustacea is actually made of plastic bags that were 
taken out of a sewer pipe in the ocean or a pipe leading into the ocean on a cleanup and they're covered with like this I don't know what it is like sea mossy sort of it's kind of beautiful in a in a way um so in one sense if you look at those the Santa hats the Santa hats with they're covered in sea urchins I mean it is kind of beautiful in a really horrible way so for me, is there's no reason to clean things up because what does that achieve? It just makes it palatable for people to go, oh, yeah, that's great. It's being reused. I can keep using stuff. Mm-hmm. Or if I recycle, that's okay. Because it's not. I mean, that's so that that's why I don't specifically don't wash anything i mean i even have one piece that's the top is a diaper and i find diapers a lot on the beach but sometimes i don't know what it is some of the used like condoms and diapers i generally don't use condoms (laughs) um tampons you name it it's out there so it needs to be talked about. That's the job of art. It's to have those confronting conversations. It's to make people think, challenge people's perceptions, make people feel something. Yeah. Is that the job of fashion too? Generally speaking, people don't make art just to sell it. Before I came to see you, I listened to Nancy Judd's TED Talk. Um, she's an American artist and I'd actually heard briefly about her before because she made a coat out of discarded leaflets from the Obama campaign. It's cool, like from a distance, again, it's one of those deceptive things that like you look at it and you think, oh, it's a it's a rather dapper frock coat. Mm. And then when you look at it close up, it's leaflets, and that's owned by the Smithsonian. And she said that her mission is to help people see trash through new eyes. I wonder if you might just like to share with us a little bit more about what your mission is. What are you hoping to communicate with the work that you make apart from use less single-use plastic? What's the bigger picture message behind what you do? Oh, that's a tough one. I just find it ridiculous that we humans are so unbelievably wasteful. I really, I've kind of, and I... Don't don't get me wrong. I was a waster, <laughs> and I still do use things that once. And you know, I just try very. I think about it pretty much everything that I buy or use, but I'm not perfect by any means. I just want us to be more responsible, personally, every single person. And I, it's a very big ask, and I don't think I have achieved it in any way, but I guess that would be my ultimate goal is to have everyone think about every single thing that they purchase and use. And, but like I said, that, and, you know, is something that enjoyable that you, if it's, it's, it's really bad for the environment, like eating meat, for instance, I mean, I won't get on my uh, you can thing about that, but you know that's an issue that I find incredibly disturbing. That we humans, we just have to have what we want at all costs to the environment, to other animals, other people, 
And, you know, it's not mm. it's not that hard to live in a first world country and not consume things that are that harmful. That whole mentality is insane. I saw David Suzuki speak. Legend. Oh, yeah. Wonderful. I interviewed him once. He's oh, incredible. Really? And we'll share yeah. some notes um, after the show about I'd David Suzuki's to. work. Yeah. But he said he was talking about food and how removed we have become from where our food comes from and that is like a huge issue it's gargantuan is it that we just don't want to know and once you get into that whole issue of food and eating it's it's a minefield because you could be you know you read the labels and it's the same something with fashion. Be, something <laughs> could be palm oil and, you know, it's not labeled as palm oil. And it could be all the good things. It could be organic. It could be no GMO. It could be no palm oil. It could be fair trade, but it's wrapped in single-use plastic containers. Maybe it's good to have less yeah. stuff. It's good to actually, um, that's a lesson I'm trying to teach myself about clothes. Yeah. Well, I think you're just sparking some my brain is going a little crazy thinking because I, I totally understand fashion as far as wanting to look different or, you know, having your own personality come through your clothes, which is totally true. I mean, that is like the single most way of expressing yourself on a day-to-day basis is how you dress. And, and I have been told that I have a certain style. I mean, man, you have blue you hair. Would, you would not know you that. You have sea-colored hair. <laughs> I have blue hair, which is not good for the environment, particularly. So that is something that you know I actually cop to. It is vegan dye, though. <laughs> not good. And um, yeah, it is conveying a message about who you are and what exactly, you do. Exactly. Like I cannot be. I used to uh, when I was graphic designer. I worked in a. PR company or with a PR company and every Halloween in America, Los Angeles, we had a dress. It's a dress, huge thing, right? Dress up day for Halloween. Yeah, it's quite big in the States. <laughs> and I thought, I know, I'm going to dress as a conservative person, <laughs> like a, <laughs> a worker person, because I thought I knew everyone in the office would get a huge kick out of it. And uh, I just looked at my wardrobe and I could not find an ordinary thing in my wardrobe at the time. So I get it. But I guess it's the idea of, do you have to have that many clothes? Do you have to wear something once? And creativity is often born of scarcity. That whole idea of, I know it's a silly cliche, Mm. but it comes, all cliches are rooted in truth, the starving artist in the garret. If you're alert, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) but if you got too much, it's harder to be innovative. Maybe Mm, I don't know. Tell that to the artist who'd quite like to get a grant, probably. Yeah, I don't know if that's true. Me, I'd like a grant. (laughs) Yeah, no, we all would. I don't know if that's true or not Mm. because I think art comes from a deeper place than that, it comes from your kind of your psyche, and you may have grown up wealthy, but with an abusive situation, you know, I don't know. Yeah, okay. It's not really. Yeah, that's interesting. I want to bring it back to art. Your work appeared in the Sculpture by the Sea 
what am I going to call it? Sculpture by the Sea Extravaganza, I'm going to call it. Outdoor Sculpture (laughs) Festival is what it is. So Bondi, famous thing. All the sculptures are along the cliff walk Mm -hmm. and it's like a rad thing that people come from all over the country and internationally to come and see this. Your work in 2014 was part of the exhibition, The Aquarium. Can you tell us about that work? It was actually, it was called The Aquarium of the Pacific Gyre, to be precise. And I was still living in Los Angeles at the time when I did that. And um, I had been working with a group called Five Gyres in L.A. who are researching the um, amount of plastic in the five gyres in the ocean. The gyres are where all the trash collects from land in the middle of the ocean. It's kind of circulates around and around never goes away, breaks down into smaller bits. They're very far from land. There's five of them. So I had originally done this uh, photographic piece, which was a family looking at an aquarium of the future, which was actually just filled with trash and not no fish. And that was, I called it Aquarium of the Pacific Gyre. And um, I thought, oh, let's just make it into a three-dimensional piece. And so I built a giant aquarium and filled it with trash. And all the trash... Perspex. Yeah, which is, of course, you know, that I had to weigh that whole thing of I had to use Perspex. Contain it. Yeah, but I couldn't use... It wasn't filled with water. That would have been impossible. Or it was really large scale. And And what was hanging in it? It was all trash. All of it looked like it could be sort of sea life. So I I curated pieces of trash all found on the beach that look like they could mimic sort of a marine creature. And then I made a big sign that identified each species with this. I gave it a scientific name like Botolopia and then talked about its habits in the environment, in the ocean environment. So I, it was like a total spoof on a real aquarium. The audience reaction was fantastic. I really, I sat around it quite a bit listening to people's comments. And that was like the first moment I thought, wow, people are getting this. They're talking about it. Kids talking to their parents they knew immediately what it was this is all litter from the beach it actually won the people's choice award number five which you know i consider something because none of my friends voted (laughs) so it was all random great (laughs) which says a lot yeah it was i i I thought it was quite successful in terms of communicating that message in 2016, you had a show called Beach Couture, an oat mess, <laughs> which I love. I like you oat, um, kind of couture. I mean, that's what you're doing. It's everything is a one-off. You're making it all mm. by hand. That yeah. is the definition of, or one of part of the definition of couture. Isn't I it? didn't know that. <laughs> well, couture is a funny one because it really is only yeah. applicable to things that have been made in one of a string of Paris-based ateliers that ticks oh. a certain load of boxes and oh, is a good. member of the Chambre <laughs> Syndicale. But what it really means is, yeah, hand one-off, well, to order that's, maybe. That's true. 
Can you tell us a little bit about some of these pieces? We talked about white trash. What about what about the one with the tennis balls? Uh, let me just backtrack a bit. The the entire I call the line beach gochera hot mess. Um, so it's a continuing line. So every time I'm asked to put on a show with these pieces. It's usually live models wearing the outfits. I just got excited because I'm like a continuing line means that you're also yeah. perhaps purposefully, but saying no to seasons, oh, yeah. <laughs> which is another big sustainability conversation. Yeah. Oh dear, dear, that puts me on a. But I like it. I mean, I'm putting because... that on you, but it is. It's like yeah. saying this isn't obsolete next season. This is a continuous process. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it's totally continuous. So. I'd like to talk about one of the kind of more uh, out there <laughs> outfits, which is called Takeaway Queen, which is all made of styrofoam containers, takeaway containers. And it's quite difficult to wear. It's, it's very uncomfortable, but I've never had a model complain. They actually really love it. And it's called Takeaway Queen because it's kind of a, a joke on, you know, that, which this is something I've been thinking about a lot lately, how single-use plastics and styrofoam are used by all echelon of society. You know, it's from the homeless people to very wealthy people. So there's no boundaries. It's not considered grotesque to use. In fact, I was on the flight, I was watching this documentary about the ball they have at the Metropolitan every year, the first Monday in May, I think it was called. The woman that was that ran the event, every scene, I noticed that in every single scene, she was, she had a, like a takeaway coffee cup. They brought it to her almost every day, it seemed. And I thought, oh, this is so bizarre because here's this woman who's the epitome of high class culture style like totally you know looked up to yet it's not grotesque that she is using this throwaway coffee cup every single day and probably just, more than one Oh uh, no! Every, five. Every, yeah. Oh, no! Yeah, yeah. You're <laughs> right. You're yeah. right. You're right. To yeah, I'm sure of this. Yeah. I just thought it was it was so gauche. You know, it's like I I looked at it that way, but I thought that is what's wrong with our society is we don't think that's we think that's okay. It's really not. It's so it's absurd. It's just absurd that someone, you know, who can afford to have her coffee brought to her in a real cup. And it tastes better too, you know? What about some of the pieces that you've used made from rescued and discarded fabrics? Yeah, so you were mentioning the piece that I do call rescued, which is all ripped up tennis balls that dogs rip up, you know, and- I they've already been chewed to bits. Yeah, mm. and that is something that I do find on the beach a lot, but. This actual dress was made from 
I was sharing, a, I was uh, in a studio with another artist and he had been saving these from dog parks, just, just from the dog park. And he gifted them to me because he knew. Gee, thanks. Knew, no, it was, uh, I was really like, yeah. That's the best present you got that year. Because I saw something, I knew exactly what I was going to do with them. And he just hadn't gotten around to it. So it was fantastic gift, I mean. And they were really chewed up and dirty and hideous. And I actually didn't realize, I didn't even think of it as, an issue and it it is i mean i even find them on the beach and certainly all over dog parks what about the dress that you've made that looks like um stars and stripes that we were talking about before yeah. looks like a historical sculptural piece and then i was saying that's how westwood gets her inspiration and yeah. coming back to john galliano as well that we mentioned in the introduction just those ideas of you mining historical silhouettes to make a modern thing what did you do that piece is called Old Glory, and it was actually American flags that most of them I found on the beach in Los Angeles again, one on the street. Who um, loses a flag? I mean, where do they come from? Uh, blown over. I mean, everything washes up on the beach. In America, we have the 4th of July. So every 5th of July, I would go down to the beach and people would leave fireworks out and you know i just thought well hey wow this is really respecting you know our culture and then to top it off they're all made in china so i just found it so ironic that whole thing you know and respect the flag well i mean i don't i'm not i'm i don't want to get myself in trouble patriot non-patriot what I'm not, I'm a human on planet Earth. I don't think any culture has any. We all share the same home. But yeah, I just found it amusing. So anyway, that piece was made out of other fabrics as well that I found on the beach. And yes, I did completely uh, reflect that old kind of revolutionary period, which I love. I had a model wearing it in a, I did a shoot a couple of weeks ago in, in Los Angeles, which is going to knock your socks off. It's quite fantastic. And uh, I was dressing the model and I, the uh, Farthing, Farthingham, I think it's called the Farthingale, I want to say, is it? Farthingale. In certain periods, bustles in the back. There was a period where the bustles Out the were side. on the side, but I made it, uh, I call it the poor, poor man's version of, because, you know, like, it's hard to construct some of these things. I have no training in this at all. I have nobody I can say, hey, can you help me? Um so I made it out of wire and pads, like shoulder pads. It's really, it's quite hysterical when you see how I've constructed it. Some, I mean, some of my construction, I think, is a little embarrassing, to tell you the truth. <laughs> but it gets there. I was going I want to finish up by asking how you do it. And I would disagree mm. with that, because I just looked at how a dress was made out the back, which actually featured mattress springs. Yeah. Um, in a panel in the bodice. But it is actually intricately and beautifully made. I wonder if you might like to just finish up by telling us a little bit about how you work. So we're sitting at your work table 
and I'm surrounded by pliers and scissors and thread. How do you put these things together? Yeah, um, I just bit and chewing gum. Because I love you, because I love you, because I love you. Thank you for listening to Wardrobe Crisis. To learn more about our guests and the issues that we've spoken about today, hop on over to my website, which is clairepress.com forward slash podcast. You can get in touch there and I really hope you will. I'd love to hear from you. And you can also find links to my social media. And finally, if you're enjoying the show, please head over to iTunes and subscribe. You know what they say, first in, best dressed. Subscribers are first to find out when there's a new episode and it also helps other people discover wardrobe crisis, so I'd love your help with that because the more people who switch on to ethical fashion, the better. Music is by Montaigne. She recorded this special acoustic version of Because I Love You, which is from her Glorious Heights album, especially for wardrobe crisis. How good is that? Thank you, Montaigne. Because I love you, my parents feel that this is a waste of time. I tell you where, okay, I won't admit that I am blind. My friends don't feel that I'm carrying a steel. I tell them all that they are wrong. Because I love you, because I love you. Because I love you Because I love you Jack Rabbit FM for your ease. Who is that? Hi Puck Pass.